There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie morning, the 10th of September. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The Brexit debate followed Boris Johnson from Dublin to Westminster last night, where the PM once again asked MPs to support his call for an early general election. Once again, MPs said no. It's the sixth vote Boris Johnson has faced since becoming Prime Minister, and six times he has lost the vote. It was a long, late and dramatic night in the House of Commons, and on failing to get agreement to hold an election, the government moved to prorogue the House, suspending Parliament until the 14th of October. The Lords who are authorised by Her Majesty's Commission to declare, to declare her royal assent to acts passed by both Houses and to also declare the prorogation of Parliament desire the presence of this Honourable House. Realise? No. 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 So the drama came to a close almost, but tensions were very high. You're a master of disorder, man. (laughs) I completely understand why very large numbers of members are much more comfortable staying where they are. Mr Stewart, if you don't like it, you're perfectly entitled to your view. I couldn't give a flying flamingo what your view is. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much indeed. Do your job. Do your job, which you're handsomely paid. The sitting did eventually end, but in the most bizarre of ways, Conservative MPs left the chamber, taunted by the opposition chanting, Shame on you. (laughs) 
Truly bizarre stuff from Westminster late into the night early this morning. Their MPs voicing their objection, protesting in the House of Commons. Uh, let's uh, move with the debate from London to Brussels. And Karen Coleman, editor of Europarl Radio, which reports on the European Parliament for Irish radio stations, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Karen, and thanks for joining us. Uh, maybe we can talk about what happened in Westminster last night in a moment but let's look forward to today because the new president of the European Commission Ursula von der Leyen is to name her new 27 commissioners and 13 of them will be women 14 of those will be men. Yes, uh, good morning, Michael, and I should point out I'm, 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 I'm talking to you from Galway as opposed to Brussels okay. at the moment. But yes, she is going to announce her commissioner's team of 27. The UK have, uh, they decided they weren't going to put forward a nominated commissioner because they uh, were leaving the EU. And of course, as we've been hearing over the last couple of days and indeed before then, it looks like now that Ireland's current commissioner, Phil Hogan, will be appointed as the EU's commissioner for trade. Very powerful portfolio, Michael, Mm. and a very significant position for him and a very interesting move by the European Commission to appoint an Irish person in this position because, of course, one of the big challenges Hogan is going to have if he is indeed uh, confirmed as the new commissioner for trade will be to negotiate a new trade agreement with the UK, assuming that the UK leaves the EU. So it's going to be very interesting mm. to see how that unfolds over the next few years. Yeah, indeed, and I'm sure it is only a coincidence, uh, but the term will start from the 1st of November, the day that uh, the United Kingdom is uh, to act as a third country. Yes. Now, the process would be that today, von der Leyen will put names to the various portfolios, some of them being more powerful than others, including the trade one. And then those nominated commissioners will appear before various European Parliament committees. They'll be grilled by the MEPs. And I can tell you, they can get quite a grilling from MEPs. And then the European Parliament will vote, assuming the various nominees get through. And if they don't, then countries will have to nominate other people in their place. And then those votes will take place. The, the commi- committee hearings will take place September, October. And then the vote for the final College of Commissioners takes place in October. And as you say, the new team of commissioners with Ursula von der Leyen being the first female European Commission president will start on November the 1st. All right. And uh, I mentioned uh, the amount of uh, female commissioners. Uh, It's the largest since uh, the uh, commission began 62 years ago. Uh, But it's also important in the context of what Commissioner von der Leyen had been saying, that she wanted to have uh, this gender balance uh, to make up uh, the commission. And she had asked countries uh, to nominate male and female uh, candidates uh, in order to take up uh, the position. But Ireland didn't do that, they, Phil Hogan was our only nominee. Yes, I mean, I think the Taoiseach had made it very clear from the beginning um, that Phil Hogan was going to be re-nominated and obviously he didn't feel the need to propose another uh, candidate, being a female candidate. And you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, von der Leyen, when she, one of the pledges she made when she was speaking to the European Parliament back in July when she was seeking the nomination for the Commission presidency was that she would have gender parity in her college in her college mm. of commissioners. I mean, she has, she has nearly struck that, which is quite remarkable. 14 men 
and 13 females, including herself. Yonkers, uh, Jean-Claude Yonker, the current commissioner, had 19 men and nine women. So, you know, there's been a, a significant shift. Now, of course, um, some of the women who have been renominated were, some of them were commissioners previously, and they are senior people. Um, and it'll be, again, interesting to see now. I, I, I've been reading some stuff about some of the candidates for the commissioners that I don't think her team will have had as senior figures as the younger team who had, I think, more prime ministers and leaders. So this particular new commissioner team may have less, I suppose, experience in terms of very senior experience than the previous younger team. Mm. And of course, uh, that will be uh, across the board in terms of dealing with Brexit. Uh, the uh, playing field changes to a large degree from a European perspective in all of the key roles in terms of dealing with this as uh, we get into November. But uh, the appointment of Phil Hogan, uh, assuming that it is ratified by the European Parliament, uh, will be seen as an act of solidarity with uh, this country from our European partners, will it not? I think it definitely will. I mean, this is a very, first of all, it's a very significant portfolio, but a very highly sensitive one when you think about what potentially now is going to happen. If either the UK leaves without a deal, but if the UK leaves with a deal, there's this transition period and during which they're supposed to start these negotiations for a future trade deal. I mean, the, the Hogan won't just be looking at a future EU-UK trade deal, but they're ongoing trade deals. They take years and years, Michael, to mm. broker. Um, I mean, the Canada trade deal, which was only recently put through, um, that took eight years to negotiate. And you have the Mercosur trade deal, which, of course, was highly controversial mm-hmm. with the South American. A number of South American states, Irish farmers, were very unhappy about the fact that they feel now they will lose out to cheaper meat imports from those uh, Mercosur countries. Now, the deal has been ratified, but it still has to go through approval by uh, by the uh, individual member states. So there's still a long way mm. to go. And, and that took nine country, years to negotiate, didn't it? it uh, I don't know if it was mm. nine or less, but yes, anyway, mm. that's the kind mm. of almost average number of years, and some take even longer okay. to broker. They're highly, you know, complicated. Now, maybe one might say that if the UK leaves with a deal, it will be easier to negotiate with the... If, sorry, the UK leaves mm-hmm. with a deal, it'll be easier to negotiate with them because we're already trading with the UK. But that doesn't mean that, you know, it'll be brokered within a year or two. They, they take years and years to broker these trade deals. So I think Phil Hogan is going to be extremely busy dealing with the existing trade deals. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's an attempt to try and broker a trade deal with the US as well, which is also running into problems. So Mm. he's going to have a very busy portfolio. And Commissioner Hogan moves from agriculture to trade. Uh, As the agriculture commissioner, uh, he did come under fire to some degree from Irish farmers for his role in that Mercosur trade deal. Uh, He'll be replaced by a Polish commissioner. Now, what can Irish farmers expect in terms of uh, how he will direct agriculture across the Union? Well, I mean, I think, you know, they will be hoping that, um, I mean, I think one of the things Phil Hogan did was to secure a better budget deal for CAP. I think it faced cuts really in the last round of budgets of just 5%. So obviously farmers will be looking very closely at the new Commissioner for Agriculture to ensure that they're not going to see 
a further erosion of their budgets. The cap budget, of course, takes a huge uh, chunk of EU funds. They mm. want to ensure that that continues. And, of course, Irish farmers, especially in the wake of the Mercosur trade deal, and concerns that their own, particularly the beef sector, will be affected by cheaper meat imports. They'll want to ensure that there's going to be, you know, some support subsidies or others for them if indeed they're going to be affected by that. And also, of course, climate change, Michael, is going Mm. to be very prominent, I think, in terms of some of the future priorities of this new commissioner. Von der Leyen herself has said that. That is also going to impact on farmers in Ireland. So I think they will be watching closely as well to see how the climate change agenda is going to influence changes to the agricultural agenda. And no doubt they'll be all very much up for getting down to the job and all geared up to go. But uh, their time will be taken up with deal, no deal, extension, no extension. Uh, and whatever may happen uh, in relation to Brexit. Uh, Will that frustrate the new commissioners, do you think, or or how will that play out? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, so many of them will be set up, and the MEPs as well, that once again there's a new administration starting. The European Parliament has already started its business. It's meeting again after its recess for the first time now in Strasbourg next week. I'll be attending that session. And I think, you know, the fact that Brexit, it's not only that, you know, we're nearly at the end game. We just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you have these various deadlines now. Mm. October 14th is when the Parliament in the UK resumes business. October 17th is that critical EU summit. October the 19th is the date that Boris Johnson um, has been told to seek an extension to Article 50 unless a deal Mm. has been agreed or a no deal has been agreed. So I think there's no question about it, certainly for the next um, two months at least, the uh, workings of the European Commission and the European Parliament will certainly, you know, uh, will be dominated probably by what's going to happen mm. with Brexit. Um, and if we're facing a no deal, if a no deal ultimately happens, then, you know, they are going to be extremely busy dealing with the fallout of a no deal and how that's going to impact on people across the EU, but obviously particularly in Ireland. It really was remarkable last night, though, in the House, wasn't it, uh, with MPs in the chamber blocking the Speaker from leaving his seat and then those chants that we heard a, a few moments ago of shame on you. It sounded more like a water charges protest than <laughs> MPs in the House of Parliament. Oh, I mean, I think it has just been... It, it, I mean, it's been enthralling watching the uh, shenanigans in the House of Commons over the last number of weeks. I mean, over the last number of years, Mm -hmm. you could say, but particularly the drama, which is Shakespearean, really, in terms of the headiness of it, um, is extraordinary. We'll miss it, I think. It's Mm -hmm. been compelling viewing every evening to catch up on what's been going on there and then to see these late-night debates. They've been suspended for five weeks. Um, I mean, it it is an incredible act, but at a time of immense importance when it's very important for the British people Mm. and for the rest of us to see what proposals is Boris Johnson coming up with, that he has suspended Parliament. So we won't see questioning of those proposals. And the MPs, once they resume business again in the Parliament on October 14th, they're only going to have a couple of days, five days. Ample time. Potentially Ample uh, time, as Mr. Johnson said. Yeah, (laughs) Ample time for him. Mm. But I mean, it's extraordinary Mm. when you think they're going to have to look at potentially examine it, a new deal, and, and then decide on what their line will be before that European Council summit meeting on October the 17th. And the Council 
the EU Council itself, leaders will be very wary um, as well in terms of a deal being proposed by Johnson. They mm. will want to make sure that that is going to be passed by the British House of Commons. And, yeah. you know, as we know, there are no guarantees that is going to happen. He doesn't want to do it. He says he's not going to do it. He has to do it by law. It's a bizarre situation. Uh, we'll hear more of that drama as we go through the programme this morning. But uh, thank you for joining us here uh, to begin our programme today. Karen Coleman, editor of Europarl Radio, which reports on the European Parliament for Irish radio stations. Call Michael now. 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Working together to prevent suicide is uh, the theme uh, for World Suicide Prevention Day and uh, there's a lot of work to do for that matter with somebody taking their life every 40 seconds on this planet. We're joined by Tom McAvoy who's uh, the Funding and Advocacy Regional Manager with Pieta House and a very good morning to you Tom and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, this is uh, the 16th year that that this day has been marked uh, across uh, the world. Uh, do you think that it has uh, some positive impact? Um, thanks for having us on, first of all, Michael. It's great to be speaking uh, with yourselves. I think, yes, um, it, there's a great focus um, now on uh, mental health and helping people in, in times of need. Um, you know, there, there are huge um, strides being made in offering assistance to people who are in need of uh, help. And uh, it doesn't necessarily only have to be those who are uh, in suicidal crisis. Uh, people have uh, mental health needs in, in lots of uh, different aspects of their lives, uh, culminating, unfortunately, sometimes in uh, suicidal thoughts or self-harming. So... Uh, you know, in Pieta House, we have been advocating, uh, you know, seek for those who wish to seek help to come to any of our 13 uh, centres around the country and uh, outreach uh, and also availing of help through our uh, 1800 uh, 24-7, 24-7 number uh, that's available. But, um, you know, Michael, it's very, very difficult for those who have been bereaved to suicide to uh, think you know, where the help is uh, for those who have have been lost. But uh, certainly over the last number of years, suicide has has reduced in numbers uh, from, you know, a, a tragic, uh, horrible number, if you want to uh, uh, make a statistic of those who have died by suicide. You know, there are 500, uh, you know, four years ago to now uh, 352 last year of those who died by suicide mm. and uh, one too many obviously yeah and figures that are always uh, impossible to quantify uh, as well because uh, the deaths can be recorded in different ways you're asking people to light a candle at eight o'clock this evening no doubt uh, so that uh, people can remember loved ones who have since passed and also uh, uh, as a way of saying to each other let's look out for each other indeed uh, in solidarity i suppose uh, because we're, you know, we're all about helping each other, and shoulder to shoulder, we can we can make an improvement in people's lives. And uh, you know, the symbol of light is all about hope. And uh, you know, if we see a light in a in a in a window, um, and we're commemorating, uh, you know, the the occasion of of maybe having been bereaved to suicide in our family, we are for a moment uh, in solidarity with one another. And 
light is all, you know, is, I suppose, positive and it's hope. And if we recall, uh, you know, going back to May the 11th this year, we had a fantastic event called Darkness into Light. Uh, and again, that's all about hope and in solidarity with one another, showing people that they're not on their own, even in their moment of grief. And it's a, an absolutely horrible grief for those who have been brave to suicide, that they're not on their own. And that maybe by just lighting the candle, we can remember our loved one who has passed and um, and know that, mm. you know, we're sharing that moment. Sometimes people will say that they are on their own or they feel that they're on their own or that somebody was on their own for too long before help was available, if it ever was available, and that mental health services in this country are the Cinderella of the health service. Well, you know, mental health services have been deplorable for years uh, and and there's no uh, getting away from that. Uh, However, things have improved and I think... You know, help is at hand for those who need it. Um, And maybe it's not the the person's fault who has needed that help and hasn't sought it. Perhaps they're not in a position to ask for that help. And maybe it's incumbent upon us today, being World Suicide Prevention Day, to to look out for one another and look out for that uh, sign, perhaps, uh, in our in our society, in our community, in our sporting life, in our, you know, in our school, perhaps in our mm. workplace, in our family, uh, that maybe we need to be looking out for one another a little bit more closely to see if somebody is in need of help and ask somebody today if you're if you're you know wondering or worried about somebody, ask them out straight. You know, uh, how are they feeling? Mm. Are they are they under pressure? You know, and 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 maybe. By asking that question, it could be the most important and significant uh, uh, point that that person could turn to somebody and say, yes, I am under pressure or I haven't been feeling well. And our number, which is free phone number, 24-7, available 24-7 around the clock, around the country, is 1800-247-247. And that is available 365 for anybody who needs assistance or needs assistance with somebody who they're not sure about and want to know what's the next move I can take. Um, we also have a free text number, which is 51444 for those who can't lift the phone and speak, but would like maybe, uh, and, and they are also manned by therapists uh, on the other end, fully qualified therapists from Pieta who can help and assist in that, in that regard. Okay, Tom. Thanks for joining us uh, this World Suicide Prevention Day. Tom McAvoy is uh, the Funding and Advocacy Regional Manager with Pieta House. Now we'll uh, return to Westminster and hear some more of uh, the debate that took place in the House of Commons last night. Can I say to the House, this is an absolutely crucial time for all of us. It's an absolutely crucial time for all our constituents. Of course, there are strong opinions, and there should be. Of course, we should have robust debate. Frankly, Mr Speaker, I am utterly appalled and ashamed at what we've witnessed in this House this evening. And, you know, I can see members laughing, but all of us have a sense of responsibility. And remember this. We had the death of an MP a few short years ago. Too many members in this House are receiving death threats. Too many members of this House are getting verbal abuse outside this place. The leadership that we show, how we all conduct ourselves in this place, 
is very important. And I appeal to everybody to show restraint, to act in a dignified manner and to show respect to each other. We owe that to all our constituents. I will give way to him. I thank the right hon. Gentleman for giving way. I do believe he says what he says with total sincerity. And that spirit, was he ashamed that a member from his benches, when the Prime Minister was on his feet, shouted out the words, you're a liar? And another member, another member from the Labour benches shouted at the Prime Minister, you're a thug. Does he agree that those things bring the House into disrepute? Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm appealing to all members to behave in a way which is respectful to colleagues and respectful to our constituents. You know, I have to say I listened very carefully to what the Prime Minister said. I will not ask for another extension. I will not ask for another extension. Mr Speaker, just dwell on these words. Because the Prime Minister is saying with those words that he's going to ignore an Act of Parliament, Mm -hmm. that he is going to ignore the law. And I would simply say to the Prime Minister, be careful, be careful. You occupy the highest office in the land. If this was the head of government in a country, say, Georgia or Moldova or in Latin America, Tory MPs would be lining up to pontificate about that country being a failed state. But because a union flag has been wrapped around it with the usual Tory jingoism, they think it's all A-O-K. Britain deserves better. I also want to commend the Right Honourable Member for Hastings and Rye for the brave decision that she took at the weekend. We are in exceptional times, and in the face of a Prime Minister who is prepared not only to shut out of his party more than 20 individuals who have given it great service, he is prepared to shut down Parliament, potentially flout the rule of law, and inflict on the British public the consequences of no deal as outlined in the Yellowhammer report. I think it is time that others in the Conservative Party also examine their consciences about what they can do and the role that they are playing in all of this. Joe Swinson, the leader of uh, the Liberal Democrats. We also heard from Ian Paisley Jr. of uh, the DUP and uh, the leader of the SNP in the House of Commons in Blackford in that clip uh, there from last night's debate. We'll be hearing more later in the programme, including contributions from Boris Johnson and indeed Jeremy Corbyn. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you know, Meat Industry Ireland pulled out of uh, the beef talks because of uh, what they call illegal blockades taking outside of meat factories, which means that there are no talks taking place on the price of beef as we speak. Eamon Curley, co-chair of the Beef Plan Movement and chair of the Mead Beef Plan Movement is on the line. Good morning to you, Eamon. And thanks for joining us. Uh, you had hoped to participate in those talks yesterday. Were you surprised at uh, so the move by the Meat Industry Ireland Group to pull out? Uh, good morning, Michael. Um, yeah, we, we did go up to participate in the talks yesterday, and, and we had bilateral talks with uh, um, Mr. Dowling and the Department of Agricultural Officials. Um, I, I, I suppose it, it was a shock 
that uh, we learned at about 12 o'clock yesterday that the, the Meat Industry Ireland uh, weren't attending the talks uh, with everyone there for the talks to take place. So um, I, I suppose that was a shock. Was it really, though? Because, I, I mean, they were asked by the Minister to get out of court and you were asked by the Minister to give up the blockades and the blockades continued. There were blockades in Slane and Ardee yesterday, weren't there? Yeah, well, the reality is that, um, like, the beef plan movement have still legal threats of, of, of costs hanging over them, and they haven't been removed, uh, and all the legal threats had not been removed. So so that's the reality. And the, the, the current um, uh, protests outside factories, they're organised by independent groups of farmers. So, uh, like, when beef plan were in, involved in the peaceful protests... Yeah. Uh, earlier in the month, uh, at least the factories had an opportunity to talk to somebody uh, with the possibility of uh, coming to a solution for the problem. But now because they're organised by all independent groups of farmers, uh, the situation has become more chaotic and less deliverable in terms of finding a result. So the way I'd see it is that Meat Industry Ireland have brought that situation onto mm. themselves. But they quashed the injunctions. Beef Plan did ask the farmers uh, to lift the blockades. Is that not right? Uh, yeah, Beef, beef yeah. Plan did ask uh, people to uh, lift blockades. But and, 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 the, uh, and all of this was to allow for the talks. Uh, you mentioned Michael Dowling, who had hoped to chair these talks that didn't take place. What did he say to you about the ongoing blockades? Well, I suppose the first thing that, that we realised was, like the farmers went into those talks yesterday on the belief that uh, the minister was going to ask the retailers. And what we found out was that the, the retailers were never in fact asked for the talks. Right. Now, the retailers uh, would have had a significant role there in that, well, I think what has to come from the talks is a sort of a long-term pricing model that replaces the current system where basically farmers are, 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 are expected to uh, walk at a loss. But the retailers here only buy 10% of your beef? Uh, c- correct. There's retailers here buy 10% mm, of our 90% beef. Because 90% is exported. But, and but, but, but the reality is that farmers now, what they're actually doing is, is they're paying for the privilege of working. Mm. And when, when you have a situation that's a dispute on, like there is at the moment... Uh, we're not able to talk about our, our pay, which is basically related to the price we did get. You, did, did you expect to be able to talk uh, about uh, price? Uh, because there seemed to be some confusion. The IFA seemed to believe uh, that uh, the Competition Authority or the CCPC had given the go-ahead to discuss price, uh, but uh, that seems uh, to have been called into question since. Yeah, I've seen that, all right. Uh, like, like I, I personally believe that's a crazy situation. Like uh, I was on the understanding that we would certainly be able to talk about a pricing model that would deliver a price, you know, and um, I think that has to be done. Like we do need a pricing model where basically the farmers um, are, are, are based. The farmers have a price for producing a kilo of beef. The processors have mm. a have a price for processing a kilo of beef, and the retailers have a price for um, selling a kilo of beef. So what we would be looking for is that an economist comes along, an accredited economist, uh, and works out what would be a fair mathematical equation th- that all those 
three um, three bodies mm-hmm. get paid properly for what they do in an equitable way. Mm. And we see that as, as the way to go forward. And for that reason, it, it was very important that the retailers mm. would be there. Okay. Um, uh, but where are we? Where, 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 where are we now, I suppose, is uh, the most pertinent uh, of all questions, Eamon, because uh, we've got blockades uh, which are ongoing. Factories are talking about closing, uh, if not closing, laying off staff, and uh, that they have uh, uh, failed to, to get the produce to produce. Yeah. Well, well, the reality is that the farmers on those picket lines now feel they've nothing left to lose. They're, they're working at a loss, um, they, they're working at a, lo- at a loss, as I says. Uh, they, they, there's no future for, for them to keep producing beef at a loss. Um, what, what they need is, like, they would prefer to be at home doing their farm work because the farm work is piling up and, and they have absolutely no interest being out on the picket line. But, like, their situation is... The meat industry mm. hasn't made any effort. But is that what you're saying? That something has to off. give. Something has to give on the other side uh, in order to lift the pickets. Yeah, well, uh, like I, I honestly believe that the farmers that are on the picket line there now. You see, what, what happened uh, two weeks ago was that the farmers down tools and they went in good faith to talks, and, and while they were in talks, the, the factories filled back up their cattle. And they tried to steamroll the farmers, thinking that, that they were going to throw in the towel, that mm. they threatened legal action on them. So, so there wasn't a, a meaningful effort by the meat industry to, to actually engage and come up with a workable solution for the problem. Uh, and like the, the current thing, what they've done yesterday by not turning up, like to me, that was basically that they were saying they were going to starve the farmers out. Do you trust them? Uh, do you believe them when they say that they might have to close plants and uh, will certainly have to lay off staff? Yeah, well, the reality at the moment is that the farmers on the ground are actually laid off, but but because the mined animals, they're actually forced to work to, to um, provide the animals with the conditions that they deserve. And like all the rural uh, shops, uh, feed merchants, agri suppliers, mm. they're all going to lose jobs because uh, the, the farmer is working at a loss and not and yeah. being forced out of business. I, I don't think anybody will uh, argue with mm. that for as long as things continue as like, they, they are. But where, workers have to laid off, but mm. farmers are actually laid off at the moment, but they're being forced to work to, to uh, keep their animals in safe conditions. Sure, but is it right to say we're in a, a state of stalemate with no sign of uh, hope. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the position at the moment. It's, it's, it's despair out there. Uh, the, the farmers can't go back and sell cattle at 345. Uh, uh, like Tagus brought out figures last week that a break-even point was 427. So that's the reality that uh, the retailers and, and the factories are going to have to face up to. Okay. And this thing of uh, putting on, uh, sending out legal letters and um, pretending everything is rosy, it's not going to wash. Uh, they're going to have to sit down and have meaningful talks. Uh, and Minister Creed is, is going to have to invite those retailers and the factory owners to a meeting. Okay. And there's going to have to be compromise across the board. All right. I have to leave it there for yeah. the moment, Eamon. Yeah. 
Okay, thank you very much, Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Eamon Curley, co-chair of uh, the Beef Plan Movement and uh, the chair of uh, the Mead Beef Plan Movement. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. James from Drumcar says that he's been listening to all the action in the House of Commons, the shouting and roaring, and he says it reminded him years ago of when he used to watch The Black Adder. You think you were seeing it and listening to it again? I thought Rowan Atkinson was at it again, that he'd he'd made another series, he says. It's a joke what's going on, but unfortunately it is not a laughing matter because it's us that is going to pay the price for it. Okay, well, we'll hear some more of that debate in a few minutes' time. A question for you, Michael, from a listener. (laughs) You seem to know so much about Brexit, Michael. What would you do if you were Boris Johnson? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know anything about Brexit, I think is the only answer I can give that. (laughs) Okay, Tom from Dundalk. Uh, The behaviour in the House of Commons beggars belief. You wouldn't see it in a school playground, says Tom. And these people are supposed to be well educated. Mm. Mairead from Drogheda says that it's been like watching a comedy and she agrees with our guest uh, Karen Coleman that you'll miss watching it every night because it was a case, Michael, of wondering what was going to happen next. She's now wondering what Boris's next move will be. Mm. Well, nothing for five weeks, it, it seems. And uh, because uh, the Prime Minister lost uh, the motion on holding a general election, uh, he moved uh, to prorogue the House. Uh, we'll hear his response uh, to the outcome of uh, the motion on an early general election now. I earlier urged the House to trust the people, but once again the opposition think they know better. They want the British Prime Minister to go to a vital negotiation without the power to walk away. They want to delay Brexit yet again, yet again without further reference to those who voted for it, handing over to Brussels an extra £250 million a week for no purpose, enough to upgrade more than five hospitals or train five thousand new nurses and most egregiously of all not only have they refused to choose the way ahead they have now twice denied the british people their say in an election the house cannot choose it will not let anyone else choose mr speaker it resolves only to be irresolute decides only to be undecided determined to dither adamant for drift And so now the House will move to adjourn and resume the state opening and the Queen's speech on October the 14th. And I hope the opposition will use that time to reflect. Meanwhile, this government will press on with negotiating a deal. While preparing to leave without one And I will go to that crucial summit in Brussels on October the 17th. And no matter how many devices this Parliament invents to tie my hands, I will strive, Mr Speaker, to get an agreement in the national interest. This government will not delay Brexit any further. 
we will not allow the emphatic verdict of the referendum to be slowly suffocated by further calculated drift and paralysis. And while the opposition run from their duty to answer to those who put us here, they cannot hide forever. The moment will come. The moment will come when the people will finally get their chance to deliver their verdict, Mr Speaker, on how faithfully this House executed their wishes. And I am determined that they will see that it was this Government that was on their side. That's the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, his response uh, to the vote in Parliament last night to twice deny the people an election to decide on Brexit, as he put it. Twice he was denied, six times he's faced a vote and six times he's lost. That's six out of six. Let's hear the response uh, to Mr Johnson now from the opposition. I think we've had quite enough of the playground politics for Conservative Party this evening. The one thing the Prime Minister didn't say was that he was going to obey the law of this country. He he did not say he acknowledged or accepted three votes that have taken place in this Parliament. And under his request, the House is now due, apparently, this evening to be prorogued for one of the longest prorogations in history, simply in order to avoid any questioning of what he is doing or not doing, simply to avoid discussion about Yellowhammer, particularly to avoid any discussion about the proposals he has or hasn't or do or don't exist that have been put to the European Union. Mr Speaker, this Government is a disgrace and the way the Prime Minister operates is a disgrace. Be quiet. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, I hope the Prime Minister will reflect on the issue of prorogation and shutting down Parliament to avoid a government being held to account, because that is exactly what he has done today and proposes to do to this country. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I, I should perhaps... Congratulate the Prime Minister because at least he's been consistent. He's lost every vote he's brought to this House since he became Prime Minister. But perhaps, perhaps that's the reason. Perhaps that's the reason, Mr. Speaker, that he's trying to shut down democracy this evening. The message that must go to the Prime Minister is: well, he can run for the next few weeks, but we'll be back here in the middle of October. He is the Prime Minister of a minority government and he's been given an instruction that he's to go to Brussels and get an extension. Once that extension has been delivered, we will have an election and Boris will be swept from government. The people of Scotland will get their say and I look forward to us securing our future as an independent Scottish government clutches of a Tory Brexit Britain, an isolationist Britain, taking us away from our partners and friends in the European Union. 
Ian Blankford of uh, the Scottish Nationalist Party and uh, Jeremy Corbyn of uh, the Labour Party. Bizarre stuff as uh, the opposition leaders highlight how the Prime Minister will have to go to Europe and seek an extension by law. No wonder people will miss it. What are we going to watch for the next couple of weeks, Michael? That's the question. Um, Jay, I'll just go back to some comments if that's all right. Mm -hmm. Jay texts in, says, Michael, it's getting so in a democracy that it's impossible to rule. They couldn't wait to get rid of Theresa May. Now they are after Johnson. Who would want the job? If people would listen instead of going with a popular view, didn't people in the UK vote to leave the EU? And it's not good enough to say they didn't know what they voted for. If you vote, it's your duty to find out what you were voting for. Well, yeah, it is. But when you're told one thing and it turns out to be a different thing, that's uh, another story altogether. And people voted to leave on the basis that they would get a deal to leave with Europe. Now they're being asked to, to leave without a deal. Jack texting, while the Parliament sits in London and debates and poses for the camera, it's like watching an episode of EastEnders, he thinks. But at least they are working, where is our crowd? Question mark. And did I hear Big Phil is the new man in trade? That's going to really help, says Jack. OK, I presume that's uh, Commissioner <laughs> Phil Hogan. That's right. Uh, the uh, doll uh, will return on Tuesday of uh, next week and uh, the House of Commons has now been suspended right. for five weeks. Yes. On World Suicide Prevention Day, Michael, we have had um, some reaction already to the interview there with Tom McAvoy from Pieta House. Uh, I'm aware of three young men in my community, says a listener who phoned in, who have taken their own lives in recent times, all in their 20s from loving homes, leaving their families absolutely devastated and shattered. We talk more openly now about mental health, which is a good thing, but yet these deaths are still happening. We need to find out why far too many. Mm. says this listener. Uh, Kel's listener feels that uh, there aren't enough health professionals operating to help people with mental health difficulties, that when you are suffering, uh, there isn't just the service there when you go seeking help. Uh, uh, Listening to your show about suicide, my two younger brothers died from alcohol damage, but nobody realised they were both depressed, severely depressed, They self-abused to cover it. Death certs were alcohol abuse, but the family knows that it was mental illness. This is never discussed, not on the suicide stats, says a listener. Mick from Fingal phoned in to say, I'm very impressed there with the speaker on Suicide World Prevention Day. More of this is needed to help people out, Michael. I'm an old age pensioner, but I've never seen as many people under pressure. People are under pressure because of work, because of housing, and it's coming on top of people and they don't know how to cope. I think that the government does seem to be taking the problem of mental health more seriously. More needs to be done and I hope that a candle will will be lit in government buildings to highlight this. Okay. So thanks to Mick for that. I'll finish on that one, Mike. Okay, thank you. And if you are feeling under pressure or if you're worried about somebody else, uh, remember Pieta House run a 24-hour helpline 24-7 and the number is 1-800-247-247. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. We'll talk uh, to the Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee, now. Good morning, Minister, and uh, thanks uh, morning, for joining us, as always, on uh, the programme. Uh, assuming uh, Commissioner Hogan uh, is uh, named as uh, the next European Trade Commissioner, uh, do you think that Phil Hogan would hit the ground running on the 1st of November, negotiating a deal with the United Kingdom outside of the European Union or do you believe that before that that the United Kingdom will have sought and received an extension to Article 50? Well, Michael, I suppose if, if I knew the answer to that, we maybe wouldn't be in the predicament we're in, but uh, we are still in uncharted territory and we're, we're still in very uncertain waters. Um, I, I suppose to congratulate Phil Hogan because my understanding is that he, he is going to be appointed that position and I think it is um, a very important position and I think it will be obviously not just in terms of the UK but obviously many other future trade deals that the EU will hope to do um, where we go from here and, and what happens next and, and what might be the case on the 31st of October is still very uncertain um, the House of Commons last night was prorogued essentially was uh, suspended to allow the Queen to give a speech outlining the current government's priorities. Obviously, there are, there are some who would say now is not the mm. time to do that, given the next European Council meeting is the 17th of October and they won't return until the 14th. The difference that that makes to us, essentially, really is very little in that the EU and the UK can still negotiate. They can still engage uh, with each other. The UK can still present proposals. They can still talk to the youth task force, uh, as they have been open to do so in, in the last number of weeks and since the Prime Minister changed and, and be, uh, since Boris Johnson became Prime Minister. We haven't seen that happening. So irrespective of what's essentially going on in the UK, we are asking and, and very much making it clear that if they have other proposals that could help to break the deadlock that we find ourselves in, then the EU is there to, to do so. Minister, Irrespective of what happens, they need to then be able to pass it through Parliament. So, I mean, mm. there needs to be that ongoing engagement behind the scenes, irrespective of whether Parliament's open or not, with the political parties and the Prime Minister and, and his team. Minister, I, I know you and every government spokesperson is very hesitant in making comment on affairs in another jurisdiction. Uh, but can you tell us what you thought yourself personally about the scenes in Parliament last night when the opposition MPs were shouting, shame on you. It really was remarkable stuff, wasn't it, Minister? I, I, I think yesterday, I mean, was another day in, in the House of Commons and we've seen many um, unusual scenes, if you want to put it that mm. way, and, and scenes that we haven't seen before. And blocking um, the Speaker from know. leaving his seat, it really was dramatic stuff. You know, again, since the House of Commons has returned, every day we, we perhaps have seen some sort of, of dramatic scenes or, or some sort of drama in the House of Commons. But, you know, again, I suppose we can only watch. There's no reason for us to interfere in what's happening because it doesn't actually change things. The person that we negotiate with, and I say we as in the EU, is the Prime Minister. He's still there. He's still the Prime Minister. He still has... Uh, for the mm. most part, the same team around him. And so that engagement can and will still continue. And we listened to a lot of that debate in the House of Commons. from Westminster uh, uh, earlier in the programme, and he was reminded time and again that by law he is required to go to Europe and seek an extension. Absolutely, and, and I spoke to you about this last week mm. in the same way if, if a law was passed here in Ireland, if it was signed by the President in the same way that mm. they ascend it to the Queen, it then becomes law and it's a duty upon the Taoiseach here, but us as a government to pass that and to enact it. So, I mean, it, it applies the same to the Prime Minister. Um, 
how that will unfold or what that will look like when they return on the, the week of the 14th of October. I, I really can't say and what position we'll be in at that stage. I can't say what I'd like to think is that we will have had engagement, that they will have presented other alternatives or possible new ideas or as being suggested now old ideas um, to the European Commission and that we will actually have a deal to put to the House of Commons and not that the Prime Minister would be seeking an extension against his wishes or that he won't be. So again, I suppose without getting into too much of that, mm. as a government you are uh, to uphold the letter of the law. You know, if, if you're not doing it, then how do you expect anybody else to? And that doesn't apply in Ireland, just in Ireland. It applies across across all countries. So we would expect that and, and I would expect that to be the case in the UK as well. Okay, and uh, I take it uh, when we talk about old ideas, we talk about a Northern Ireland only backstop and that seems to be back on the agenda or is it, Minister? Well, I'm not sure where this has come from in in the last few weeks. I suppose you could say, well, a number of places, it it is the obvious way to try and resolve the impasse that we have at the moment. But obviously there were specific reasons as to why that was not acceptable when it was first proposed and when it was first essentially put forward as the backstop in that format where it was Northern Ireland specific. It was then at the request of the DUP and and, and the, the party extended to a whole of UK customs union territory. Um, so if we were to go back to that, then obviously those same concerns remain. How do we address those further or how do we clarify what is in it? That's obviously, again, something that would have to be discussed. But none of this has been put forward. So so why it's back in the domain now at the moment, my guess, I suppose, mm. is as good as yours. But what that actually means now and, and what it might mean into the next few weeks will depend on what the UK bring to the the task force, what they bring to Michel Barnier, Mm. and if they bring anything at all, because in the last number of weeks we've heard a lot of talk about progress being made, about engagements happening, and that really hasn't been the case. So we we Mm. really do need to see action now. Okay. I suppose, though, that's the... Many times we're getting close to the deadline. Oh, very close, yeah. yeah. Uh, But that that would be the old idea. The new idea that you mentioned uh, appears to be this suggestion of an all-Ireland zone for animals and agri-food. Well, I mean, that's something that has been put out there, but I think what we all know and, and I think what most people would understand is that for... SPS checks, it accounts for about 30% of the trade that goes north and south. So to simply apply that and nothing else um, would not prevent the reemergence of a border. It would not protect the cooperation north and south, which has been committed to already by the UK in the withdrawal agreement and in the document that we have. So it's part of possibly a, a solution to this, but it's only part of it. So again, what does that look like? How do we flesh it out? When is this going to be presented to the task force, if at all? We don't know any of this, but obviously we want them to. And the Taoiseach yesterday, before himself and the the Prime Minister sat down on a one-to-one basis, he very clearly said, we are here, we want to help, we are willing to listen to what you have to say, but if you don't say anything, then there is very little that we can do. So we're we're trying to, to be as helpful as we can, but obviously negotiations have to take place between the UK and the EU, and really it's the UK that have to present alternative arrangements because Mm. simply saying we don't like what we have even though we've been negotiated with you we want you to remove it without replacing it with anything else to me it's it's not the way forward okay it it seems as though every time uh, you take time to speak to us minister as well uh, that uh, there's been an increase in uh, the level of violence in the interim Uh, there's been an improvised uh, device uh, that uh, the psni has had to deal with in Derry and violence in Derry as well with uh, psni officers attacked with petrol bombs 
I mean, look, I, I think that's appalling. And I think any uh, increase in violence, no matter how insignificant it might seem to some, but really it's hugely significant, should not be tolerated and it can't be acceptable. And so the meeting yesterday between the Taoiseach and Prime Minister, obviously the, the main focus was Brexit, but mm. part of that and, and, and absolutely linked to that is the, the institutions, the getting up and running the power sharing institutions in Northern Ireland. It is far too long that they have been absent at this mm. stage. The Taunashta has, again, since the summer, been in Northern Ireland, has been engaging with um, all parties in the North and with the, the Secretary of State from the UK to try and get to that place because if you have a functioning executive, I think it really it, it fills somewhat of a gap in the absence of us having a deal and knowing what's going to happen next. But it also... I think sends a very strong signal that we do not and will not tolerate violence, that we will not accept it, that we are willing to work together, that we will come together to prevent that from happening again. So I really hope that we can see something happening, you know, and and I've said that many times before and it hasn't been the case, but as you said, every time I talk to you now, it seems Mm. as though something new is happening and we simply cannot tolerate it or or accept it. Uh, A lot of people, I I think, were pleased with uh, the messages uh, that uh, the Taoiseach sent to the British Prime Minister yesterday uh, about uh, the need uh, for uh, an open border for the free flow of uh, people and trade across this island and uh, that uh, we would have economic unity and that the backstop was uh, very important. But also uh, in how he said to Mr Johnson that the Irish government would oppose any move to introduce British direct rule. Uh, What prompted the Taoiseach to say that? Well, this is not the first time he's said it. Uh, He's said it before. I've said it myself in in responding to questions from Deputy Adams and and other deputies in the chamber um, before the summer, because this is a question that I suppose has been asked um, based on the fact that we cannot get an executive up and running or that there's a a difficulty, (laughs) shall we say, in doing that. But this is a position that, that this government has taken and that it contravenes mm. the Good Friday Agreement to have direct rule from uh, the UK and from the House of Commons, from the Parliament. So that is why we need to work to try and ensure that that doesn't even become a topic of conversation or it doesn't get any further than it has done. Um, we need to have power sharing. We need to have uh, consent absolutely mm. upheld in Northern Ireland from both sides um, of, of the equation. It, it became a, a top of, of discussion in Westminster yesterday and Nigel Dodds raised it a, a, as a, an issue uh, and uh, there seems to be some confusion as to whether the British can introduce a, a system of British-only direct rule. Well, my understanding is that they cannot and, and if they were to try that's something that we would uh, essentially refuse to accept and would not allow happen. Um, but again, it goes back to the fact that we are so long without a functioning executive in Northern Ireland that this conversation is now starting Mm. to happen. We need to get the executive up and running. We need both sides to be working together on this and we need to make sure that there is no vacuum created that allows this kind of conversation or discussion because I think it creates further divisions um, where we have over the past number of years managed to create unity where communities are working together where people do not want to go back to the violence that we're now starting to Mm. see creeping back in again. So it's about working together, it's about trying to get the executive up and running, but also making sure that we have a deal with Brexit, because if we have a no deal, it becomes much more difficult to unite people and to try and progress 
so much of the good work that's happened over the past few years. It, it just, without even, you know, without it wanting to, it just makes it much more difficult. OK, know. but the, the Taoiseach did mention it yesterday, speaking outside of government buildings, but on a global platform in front of the world's media, then raised by Nigel Dodds in uh, Westminster yesterday. It's a dangerous conversation, isn't it, Minister? It's one that can get people's backs up. Well, I, I think there are a lot of things being said at the moment that are, are I suppose, quite tough for people to hear or to to discuss and you know I think we need to be able to have conversations um, with each other without um, going to that stage or or getting getting to that stage but you know again this is what happens when you have a vacuum this is what happens when you spend three years negotiating a deal and, and we now can't get it passed this is what happens when there is no clear direction as to where we go next so that's why we need clear direction. We need a deal so we can talk about a future relationship. We need the executive up and running so communities can continue to develop and grow and work together. In the absence of that, it does create tension. It does create difficulties. And that's what we want to move away from because, you know, again, we know where that leads us and it's certainly not uh, a good place to be. So, you know, I can't stress it anymore. We want to get a deal. We want the executive up and running. We want uh, all political parties to be able to work together. We want to be able to uphold the spirit um, and the letter of the, the Good Friday Agreement. And I think we can only do that if all of those things come together. Minister, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Helen McEntee is a Fine Gael TD in Meath East and the Minister for European Affairs. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now uh, to uh, the protests uh, which uh, saw children walk out of uh, Colosh de Lou last uh, Thursday because of how they will no longer be taught through Irish. Uh, we're joined by Eugene Toner, who's a parent of two of the students in Colosh de Lou. And a very good morning to you, Eugene, and thanks for joining us. Uh, there was a lot of uh, attention for the protest nationally, uh, but little progress since it, it would seem. And I understand the parents are, are considering taking high court action. That's right Michael and thank you for having me on your show this morning well, Michael can I get to start off your programme by saying that Clarsu is a school and back in 2011 a group of people from the CEC got together with other people and eating the can to organise a, a secondary school for Irish and in the 5th of September 2012 a large number of people got together and put their kids names down for this new school I was opening up in Chapel Street uh, until the new school was being built at the marshes. So when the new school was built at the marshes, we believed that there was going to be uh, two separate schools, Clarsalou and Clarsalou Holland. My kids, I have two kids at Clarsalou, so we have, and there this year, my kids were in and they told us they were no longer doing their Irish language uh, anymore, that there was only two subjects being done through Irish and the rest was done through English. Right, and the department uh, issued a statement last week saying that there's some com- confusion about all of this, that there's a matter of uh, communication and expectation and that the expectation that the parents had about the commitments uh, were not the commitments that were given to them. That's right, but they never, uh, they never met uh, once with us. We requested meetings with the Lead me uh, Education Board and they have never met us over it. And again, the principal school never notified us uh, over changing the language to English and NATO. Mm. Uh, but they say that there isn't the number of students necessary and there isn't uh, the required number of teachers for that matter. But there, uh, there was those eight teachers then in Chapel Street and the eight teachers left Chapel Street to go to Clarsalou and this year 
sex teachers uh, have left the school and their jobs is never filled. They mm. never requested uh, for Irish teachers to go back into that school. 16 new teachers did start and within the classroom to Holland and that one of them went over to Class Lou. Class, it's only a new school and it will take time for the build up and uh, when they did start uh, promoting that school, they did get numbers in the doors and last year, uh, when they were going around the primary schools to promote the school, Clausley was never mentioned once to any uh, sixth-class student to go into that new school. It was all about Clausley and Holland, and mm. that's why they're small numbers. Because they say that there isn't the enrolment numbers in the primary school. But there is, because if you go to Clausley, uh, Gale and Dock, that's where my kids went as mm. uh, primary kids, yeah? There's 30 kids in the, this year, and a lot of them is going to go to that school, but the parents have contacted us saying they don't know what to do now because of all the bad publicity about mm-hmm. the school. 18 kids from last year went to the, from Clarkson Gale School went to the Clarkson this year. Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, as I say, LMETB say they're not in a position to commit the resources sanctioned for other students to meet your expectations in terms of teaching through Irish. And the department says that the enrolment numbers and the output from the Irish Medium Premium School just aren't there. But if they were, then they would consider a standalone gay colostia. And there are the arguments. I'm not arguing them with you, obviously, Eugene, but there are the arguments from LMETB and the department. But you're rejecting those arguments. So uh, let's go back uh, to that question I put to you first about court action. Are you considering taking this to the High Court? We are indeed, yes. Uh, have you heard anything outside of those statements that were issued last week from both bodies? No, we heard nothing and we requested a, a meeting but there's a, a, a TD there at the minute and he's uh, negotiating. He's actually having a meeting today with the LMETV board to see what they're doing. And we did uh, give them all the opportunities to come back to us and tell us what they were doing, but they refused. Well, you had asked that they would come back to you by the end of business on Friday gone, wasn't it? Yeah, and mm. yes, we did indeed, and uh, no response. Mm. And my kids were the other day to the school, and they're not being recognised as Clarkson kids in Edo. OK, tell us about your two kids, uh, uh, just to, in terms of their education. Uh, what levels, right. are, what, what levels are, are they at? And what, 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 what sort of a change are they facing now because of uh, this move, uh, which will mean that they'll be taught through English? Well, my, uh, my daughter, Hannah, she's doing her junior self this year, and uh, she's all excited to do through Irish because extra points. But she was told now it's been done through English and she hasn't got a clue about any English, you know. She's after studying the last two years to get ready to this for her junior through Irish mm. and now it's been done through English. So she's going to be at a loss at it, you know. She'll not be able to do it. Right, OK. And, and the second child is a younger child, is it? It is indeed, yeah. Mm. He's in first year now, yeah. Mm. And uh, he's just lost as well as he is, yeah. He's disappointed. He loves the, he loves Irish, just to love it. Mm. Uh, I take it, though, that they're uh, both fluent uh, English speakers. Having said that, uh, there are some children, I understand, in the school uh, who may uh, come from other countries, Polish children who speak Polish and Irish and don't speak English. That's correct and right. And there's actually a Nigerian family contacted me last night and their daughter was doing high honour in maths and uh, she was told now she's going to be doing it in English. And on my level, that girl from Nigeria, that family from Nigeria... Not great English. Like, it'll take that girl six months mm. before she even gets to know the 
that level of English, you know, for her leaving. And it's too late. It, it, it's going to ruin her career as well, you know. Like, here are these people that uh, tell us that our kids can't do their leaving or junior true Irish. Like, we put them to that school uh, knowing how it's going to be an all-Irish school. And then they turn around and tell us that it's not an all-Irish school, it's not recognised. Mm. Uh, if you go into the school itself, you'll see a uh, class of uh, on the floors of it. There were signs put up and everything inside the school. You know, mm. uh, it is a closely school, as far as I'm aware. Okay, well, as you say, talks are to take place today. Uh, hopefully there'll be some resolution or we can come back to it again at another time. We'll leave it there for the moment, though, Eugene. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, that's... Eugene Toner, uh, who's a, a parent of a couple of students in Colosh Jalou. Now, we'll go back uh, to the House of Commons and uh, some more of uh, the debate. We were talking about direct rule there with uh, the Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee. We'll hear some of the contribution made in uh, that House of Commons debate yesterday by DUP MP Nigel Dodds. Can I say about the volume of work that needs to be done to address issues in Northern Ireland, the powers that need to be taken? People have complained about the prorogation and the impact of that. Quite frankly, we have had months, if not nearly three years, as we said, to actually take responsibility in this House to do something about some of these issues. Some of us on these benches have been raising the need for decisions to be made in Northern Ireland across a range of issues, and the Secretary of State knows this from his previous job, the constant pressure that we put on for decisions to be made in health, education, infrastructure, housing, investment, these other crucial issues that we're debating tonight. We have constantly asked for this House and members of it to take responsibility and to treat the people of Northern Ireland properly in the absence of devolved government, and it was deliberately as part of policy both government and opposition, the decision was taken, the decision was taken, and these are important matters to the people of Northern Ireland, not to take any powers and not to make the necessary moves. So when people are talking about shelling out responsibility and who should take responsibility, it's a bit late now in the teeth of prorogation to be complaining about lack of time, when people have plenty of time up to now to do something about these matters but decided not to. When we do come to the issue of necessary powers being taken in the event of no restoration of the Assembly in time. Let me make it very clear to the Secretary of State, and he knows this, that of course the institutions in Northern Ireland and the operation of devolved government is a strand one issue for the, Her Majesty's Government and the parties in Northern Ireland. So we fully expect that the strand, three-strand approach will be respected. And when the Shadow Secretary of State talks about the involvement of dialogue with, with the government and parties, with uh, Dublin, Let us be very, very clear that on the issue of the Assembly and powers here, if the Assembly is not restored, this is a matter under Strand 1 for the government and the parties in Northern Ireland exclusively. Strand 2 and 3 are different, but Strand 1 is very, very clear. That was agreed and has been the case for the last number of decades. That's uh, another way of saying nothing to do with Dublin, and that was uh, DUP MP Nigel Dodds speaking in the House of Commons yesterday. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now we'll just return briefly uh, to uh, the Houses of Parliament uh, and uh, more of uh, that contribution from Nigel Dodds in front of MPs in the House of Commons yesterday about uh, the Northern Ireland Executive. He was saying that he wants the Executive to be restored. In relation to getting Stormont up and running, of course we want to get Stormont up and running. We're fully committed. Secretary of State knew that Arlene Foster proposed over 18 months ago that we get the Assembly up and running to deal with these important matters without prejudice 
to the issues which Sinn Féin have elevated prior to, after agreeing a programme of government which actually didn't include some of the issues that they're now preventing the restoration of Stormont on, and she offered to restore the Assembly on a time-limited basis to deal with some of these pressing issues, and that was rejected by Sinn Féin almost within half an hour, not even given proper consideration. So we want the restoration of the Assembly, but some of our members here have pointed out the incentives now in terms of getting that done have been completely switched because people are very content on the Sinn Féin side to sit back and wait till the deadline runs out because they therefore achieve some of the objectives that they want. Some people in this House, whether it comes to Brexit or Northern Ireland, simply prove they don't know how to negotiate. They actually hand over the incentive to the other side to sit tight and then complain to the members who actually take their seats here about the consequences. The fact that Sinn Féin aren't here in this House tonight is a demonstration of one of the problems we face in Northern Ireland. They boycott this place, they boycott the Executive, they boycott the Assembly, and then we're told it's all the fault of one party or other parties and all the rest of it. We will continue to work with the Secretary of State in the coming days and weeks, and he knows this, to try to get that Assembly up and running. But as the Honourable Member for South Belfast indicated, we have put proposal after proposal after proposal, and they have been rejected. We will continue, however, to work on it because we know the importance of the restoration of the Assembly and the Executive, and especially in the run-up to Brexit. Nigel Dodds. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to uh, the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navin Station joins us for the report this week. And we begin with news of a tragic fatal road accident. Uh, this uh, happened uh, in Kells in the early hours of Sunday morning. Yes, good morning, Michael. Um, sadly, we start with this fatal accident. Uh, your listeners would be aware that uh, a young man tragically lost his life, Craig Lynch from Shercock, and uh, we uh, wish to express our deepest condolences to the Lynch family on their tragic loss. This accident happened on the Kells to Slane Road at Headford Domain outside Kells. The time was 1.30am in the early hours of uh, Sunday morning. Uh, Mr Lynch was driving a Subaru legacy car which lost control and uh, crashed and uh, he was pronounced dead at the scene. So we are appealing for any witnesses uh, to that collision to come forward and contact Kells Garda Station on 046 Okay, we'll move to Clonee and Garda investigating a robbery at a supermarket last Thursday. Yes, this happened at the Lidl supermarket in Clonny last Thursday evening at uh, 20 to 9. Now, Michael, this was a very violent incident. Um, a dark-coloured Ford Mondeo car pulled up outside Lidl. Uh, the driver remained in the car. Two men got out of the car and entered the shop. One was carrying a lump hammer and the second was carrying a hatchet. Uh, both males wore hoods and scarves over their faces. Um, there were two checkouts in operation and the two males robbed cash from each checkout they used the hammer and the hatchet to smash open the cash boxes and to take the cash uh, this was a very reckless and violent incident uh, staff and customers were naturally very upset by this fortunately nobody was injured in the incident now the culprits left the scene in that dark coloured Mondeo um, we have a description of the male carrying the lump hammer he was aged about 25 to 30 he had a Dublin accent he had large brown eyes and he was of medium build. So Gardy at Dunboyne are investigating that. They're appealing for any witnesses who haven't yet come forward. Please do so. 
They're also looking for anybody who may have dash cam footage that might have captured that Mondeo before or after the incident to please contact Dunboyne Garda Station. Okay, we've a number of burglaries to report on. The first of those occurred in Belurgan last Tuesday. Yes, this happened in the early hours of last Tuesday. Belurgan National School was broken into. Uh, The alarm activated at 3am. Entry was via a rear window and an office area was ransacked. Nothing was taken, but naturally there's a lot of disruption to a school when there's an incident like this. So uh, the Dundalk Crime Unit are investigating that incident. If anybody was in Belorgan in the early hours of last Tuesday and they recall seeing anything unusual or suspicious, to please give Dundalk Crime Unit a call. The next burglary to report on also happened a week ago last Tuesday, this one in Killani. Again, the early hours of last Tuesday at precisely 2.22am, the alarm activated at Killani Community Centre at Cork Riga. Now, uh, the door was forced open and there's a crash inside the community centre. Um, the office in the crash was ransacked and a very small amount of money was taken. If anybody has any information that can assist with that, p- to please contact RD Garda Station. To Carlingford next, uh, where Garda are investigating uh, burglary there. This happened last Thursday. Last Thursday evening, the 5th of September at about 20 to 8 Uh, An owner was returning to their house at the Liberties in Carlingford when they saw a strange car outside. It's an ordered and registered Audi car. As they approached, they observed a male climbing out the rear window of their house. He jumped into the passenger side of the Audi and it went off at high speed. Um, The partial registration of this car is DFZ. Uh, So we're appealing to anybody who was in the Carlingford area. It would have been still bright at that time last Thursday evening, 20 to 8. If you can assist with that investigation, to contact Carlingford Garda Station. OK, we go to Duleek next. Uh, common enough crime, uh, unfortunately, as uh, many tradesmen will t- testify. Uh, and some tools stolen. Uh, these were taken from a van in Duleek overnight at the weekend. Yes, this was Friday night into Saturday morning. A van was parked um, at Bat Abbey, which is on the Navan Road in Duleek. Um, it had a large amount of uh, power tools inside. Basically, the van was cleaned out. The culprits would have needed their own transport to carry this amount of equipment. Um, so we're appealing to anybody who was in the leak uh, Friday night, early hours of Saturday. Did you see anything unusual or suspicious, a suspicious vehicle in the area? To please contact the leak Garda station. And once again, we'd ask people if the hair of tools been offered at knockdown prices in unusual circumstances to please contact us. And for tradespersons, again, to please mark mm. your tools. Well, absolutely. And uh, they've come from somewhere and they could be your tools that are taken next time round, for that matter. Uh, we go to Ratoth, uh, where there's uh, another burglary, burglary to report on. Uh, this happened on Saturday evening. Saturday evening, around 25 past eight, four masked men were trying to break into a house at Somerville on the Ferry House Road in Ratoth. Now, they were disturbed and they got into two separate cars, a light-coloured Audi A4 and a dark-coloured Audi A4 estate and they sped out the ferry house road away from Ratote. Um We're appealing to anybody who is in that area, perhaps, again, dash cam footage might have picked up these vehicles in convoy, and Gardy at Ashbourne are investigating that. They would appreciate any assistance in relation to that. OK, and we're going to conclude uh, with uh, some property that uh, you've uh, to report on. This was actually handed in to you rather than something to report on being stolen. Yes, <laughs> hopefully some good yeah. news for somebody, Michael. Um, Navin Guards uh, have a, an iPhone 7, an Apple iPhone 7, red colour. It was found at the Market Square in Navin at half five on Sunday morning. 
So uh, more than likely somebody out on Saturday night lost their phone. And uh, if you think it's your phone, please contact Navangarda Station. OK, thank you very much indeed, Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navangarda Station. And we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Before we leave you today, let me remind you this World Suicide Prevention Day that there is help available to you as well locally through the SOSAD group. You can uh, get the local numbers from sosadireland.ie or from the radio station if you wish to contact us for the numbers in Drogheda, Dundalk or in Nav. But that's all we have time for today. Before we leave you, let me remind you there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website, lmfm.ie, later this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and uh, pardon, Paul McKenna in the control tower. That's it. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.